when uh, Lazary and Drinkle took over, you know, they uh, just that organization just took off, and you know, um, they've created such a great organization and you know such a great atmosphere there. It's uh, it made my time there pretty special, and um, you know, Lazary he he works hard um, day in day out, and he's always the first one at the rink, last one to leave, and um, you know that's something you want to see in your coaches, and you know, it motivates the players even more. So. Uh, I think uh, just kind of what they've done with that whole organization is pretty special and, you know, it makes me proud to be a part of them. That was Team Canada forward Ryan Suzuki earlier this month at training camp prior to the World Juniors talking about his experience as a Saginaw Spirit. Welcome to Inside the Barn. I'm Sam Obermeyer. Joining me today are Spirit General Manager Dave Drinkle and Head Coach Chris Lazary. In the last few years, the Spirit have become one of the top organizations in the OHL. Before last season was canceled because of the pandemic, they were second in the Western Conference and poised for another playoff run. In October, they had their first top 10 NHL draft pick in Cole Perfetti. Dave took over as GM of Saginaw in July 2005 after working his way up through the Barry Colts front office. Chris took over as head coach in November of 2018 after serving as an associate coach in Saginaw for the two seasons prior. For both of you, I guess we can start with Dave here. This time has been different for everyone. How have you been personally, and what has your job kind of been like over the last nine months or so? Yeah, personally, it's been it's been tough, and I know Chris is going to echo that as well. Just the fact that you know you're building for the year, you're so used to a routine of what you do each year. Your training camp, you bring the players in, and it's been really hard um, not seeing the guys every day, not watching them develop not watching them compete on the ice, you know, that's really what, what we live for and what we do. And it's been tough right now, not having that happen, but we're dealing with it the best we can and with our heads held high, because eventually when we do have a year, Chris always says there's going to be a winner at the end of it and we want it to be us. So we're trying to prepare as best as we can for when the year does start. Um, My day to day is totally different right now. There's not a lot of minor hockey to scout because there's not a lot of minor hockey going on. Um, obviously Chris and I talk all the time about what we're going to do, what our lineup's going to look like. He's working extremely hard with his staff in terms of, you know, setting up camp and, and getting in the ground running when we get started. So, uh, all in all, I guess I'm doing well, but it's definitely tough, uh, when you're thrown out of your routine like that and, and not being able to do what you love every day. Chris. Yeah, like a lot of what Dave's saying, uh, to me, it's, it's, you got to find ways to get better. I mean, the break's been nice. I got two young uh, girls and a family and I've, you know, enjoyed my time with them. At the same time you're working, we're, you know, watching a lot of video right now. I'm down a deep, deep rabbit hole on breakouts, looking at uh, analytics tied to breakouts. And then I've watched every one of our breakouts from last year, which is, you know, around 3000 clips there and then you start going through and you watch the best NHL teams what's their structure what's their habit and then just looking at past OHL champions and you know what are they doing and how were, the, were they breaking out so trying to find ways to make our team better trying to find um, you know ways if, if we want to be a breakout better breakout team structure how can we develop that through practice whether skills so then you start jumping on calls with other coaches and you kind of start jumping around on a bunch of topics and it leads you everywhere so to me it's like there is no hockey, but there's a huge opportunity to get better. And I think the best coaches in the world from the NHL down are, are finding ways to do that while they have downtime. So, um, and then, you know, connecting with players and through text and sending video clips and our staff's been really good. Our assistants have been working with our, our players one-on-one setting up development 
plan. So when we get going, what's, you know, individual goals, how can we achieve that? If a player says he wants to get 30 goals, well, that's great. What's your plan? Like dive down into that. And what can we do as a staff and a organization to help you? So uh, a lot of that stuff, it's been fun. It's, uh, but you're getting anxious and starting to chomp at the bit now. Like uh, you watch hockey on TV with college playing and USHL and the world juniors getting going. It's, you know, you want in on the action. I think our league will and looking forward to, to getting going. Chris, you mentioned talking to the players. How much interaction do you have? Because they're all scattered. Are you trying to give them space and kind of an off season versus how much are you communicating with them? Great question, because I've actually talked with a lot of coaches in our league, and what have they have done? Have they been doing Zoom calls? And some have been doing weekly, some have been doing bi-weekly, some have been doing monthly. We've taken the approach where we've kind of got hands off and left our guys alone in terms of that stuff by design. Doesn't mean we're not talking to our players or there's a ton of text messages. And again, our, our coaching staff, we've reached out to players and I've done one-on-one with their video. And But we're not doing weekly calls. I just feel like when we get going, it's going to be a, a race to the end and there's going to be almost an overload of hockey for them. And, and um, for us, we just want them to enjoy their families, you know, continue to, to do your, your workouts and, and all that stuff, but just enjoy your time away from the game. Obviously keep an eye on what's going on, but we just don't want to, I don't see a sense of, of like diving into what your forecheck or your ozone or right now, like they're not going to remember it. You're going to waste more time, uh, going through it closer to camp. We're actually working on doing a virtual camp about a week and a half before we bring our guys in for camp, but we'll have an actual virtual camp and hopefully get a head start on some of that stuff where we can really get into some good small groups and some meetings and develop how we want to play and what we want to do and get our players to develop what they want, their culture and things like that. So when we get to camp, you know, we're almost starting a week ahead of where we would have been. So that's kind of been our plan going forward with it. And hopefully we can execute it and things will go well. And Dave, I think, you know, I guess to some extent, a lot of people or players are in the same boat as far as the time off, but what's your concern about the drop in development and both, you know, at OHL levels, but you're also scouting players to draft that you can't watch and you're not sure how they're developing. What's your overall concern kind of across the board of, are, are we going to see kind of a leveling off a drop? What's that look like? Well, I think it's going to be a definitely a wait and see approach how this whole thing affects everybody down the road. I think in terms of minor hockey, um, it is very tough because, you know, some teams are playing mixed inner squad games. Some teams have played a few games this year, but they ha we haven't had the opportunity to scout them as much as we have in the past. And I'm a big believer in building through the draft and, and my scouting staff works very, very hard um, watching these kids play all year long from September to right to the draft in April. And um, we will have more opportunity going forward. Our league is having a draft in June for sure. That's been confirmed. Um, so they will, you know, we're going to have lots of opportunity to watch these kids down the road, but we're, you feel like you're behind a little bit in that, in that sense. Um, but you know, players are developing, they're still skating a lot. They're still working out a lot. Again, like Chris said, it's up to them to find a way to get better during this time. And, and our players are doing the same thing. It, it is tough for guys, I think in their NHL draft year right now, um, just not getting the looks that they want and, you know, NHL teams are maybe basing lists and whatever off what happened last year. And that's not really fair to them because they were 16 years old at the time. And, you know, between 16 and 17 in our league is a big jump and, and they mature faster. They get used to the league and, and the second year is kind of when they take off. So I think it'll be a, a bit of a harder go for those guys. But when we do get going again, we'll find out quick who, who put the work in and who didn't. Like who's working out every day, who's getting their body in the best shape. You know, by the time our year gets going, we're going to be looking in February that's halfway through or almost two thirds of the way through a, a kid's 17 year old year. And 
and their body can change a lot by that point and their speed's better and their strength. So they, they got to make sure they're putting in the time now. So when we do get going, you're going to have a short window to showcase yourself for the NHL draft. And I know our guys will be ready, but um, it's a huge, huge obstacle for them to overcome. Dave, have you told any of your draft eligible players or have you kind of come up with a system for them of maybe how you can work or showcase yourself in this time as well? Um, a lot of them have been doing phone calls with NHL teams to NHL teams credit. You know, they're still doing their homework. Their scouts are doing calls with them or Zoom calls, just trying to get to know them a little bit. The same as what they would be doing here. A lot of times throughout the year, people don't know the scouts come down and do our room after games into our office and they take the draft eligible players and they sit with them and get to know them and just kind of put a face to a name. And, and they're, they're, they're continuing to do that now just without being able to watch them play. Um, you know, anything I can do to the NHL level, they get, you get a lot of calls and Chris does too about kids character and, and everything like that, but they do need to see them play. It's one thing to tell tell them like how good this player is going to be, but we need to make sure that they've taken those steps too from last year to this year to be able to push themselves up the draft list. And Chris, when you talk to the players or we've talked about development, but how concerned are you about, you know, their, their mental state, especially, you know, their, teenagers early 20s that you know we've talked earlier this has been kind of hard for everyone what do you think that the mental side is like for them right now yeah I think as an organization and, and Dave would probably agree like whether we're playing hockey or we're in the situation we're in I think our organization and us as a staff like we focus on that aspect of our players every day and um yeah you worry about it I again like with the draft eligible guys they're anxious um we got a group of guys that are definitely NHL players in my mind that didn't have a ton of ice time last year. We're not always in the lineup, but our, cause we were so deep, but uh, those guys you worry about maybe a little bit more because they have so much on the line being in their draft year. But I think everybody, myself included, you have some real tough days. Like there's tough days. I'm 38. I got a wife and, and two kids and I'm a grown man, but I have real tough days, tough weeks without hockey. It's, it's who we are. It's how we identify ourselves. It's, how we've spent our lives forever and, and all of a sudden you know overnight it stops and then it stops for a prolonged period and it's tough so yeah we worry about it that's why we reach out to our players via text guys know we're always open uh for conversations but um i think just staying in contact being really positive with the message i think our league's done a good job providing information to, to us as a staff to pass along to players that we will have a season there is a plan in place but we're in a global pandemic. There's our hands are tied. Like it's, it's obviously not ideal for everybody, but, um, but the way the world is these days and, and mental health, we just pride ourselves on creating a safe environment. And we just, we care about our players and their well being. So yeah, you think about that. I stress about that a little bit as a coach where, you know, you can't, there's nothing I can do from a, a distance. I'm not allowed to be around them, but uh, these days you'd love to drive to their house, give them a hug, ask them how they're doing, have a coffee, have some jokes and spend some time with them. But hopefully that's coming very soon. I think that's kind of a good segue. I want to talk about your organization more here. And Dave, I actually went back and I watched some of your introductory press conference five and a half years ago. And like the first thing you said was you wanted to create a family atmosphere. So I think Chris kind of touched on this a little, you know, with the mental health and now, but how have you done that? How have you done that in Saginaw? You know, I'm very proud that we do have a family culture here and a family atmosphere. And you know, when I took over the team, it was a it was a big point for me to create that culture and comfortability for players and staff. And 
I never wanted to feel like I was the boss. I wanted everybody to feel like we're in this together. Ultimately, you know, I am going to have the final say and make some tough decisions, but I wanted everybody to feel comfortable that they love coming to work every day. Um, they're willing to go through a wall for the organization, for myself, for the head coach. And, and we've done that here. And, and to credit to Chris and his staff, he's bought in. He's been unbelievable. And, and it just helps trickle down to the players. It starts at our ownership. They're unbelievable. Great guys to talk to. They'll provide us with everything that we need for the organization, for the players, and, and they care. And then that trickles down to myself and then our staff and to our players. But we have this culture here in it. And, and it's fun because our players come in, they can joke around, they can have fun, they can joke around with Chris. But when it's time to get to work, our guys can flip a switch and get to work real quick. But they love coming to the rink. And I just didn't want to have our players feel that driving to the rink, they didn't want to be there. They didn't want to come into work that day. When they're here, they love it here. They don't want to go home. They want to stay here. Um, I, I was naive when I took over the job. I thought I could flip the culture within a year. Um, it took a, it took longer than that, to be honest with you. But once you have that culture and you have it heading in the right direction, you want to do whatever you can to keep it on that course because I'm a big believer that when you have a great culture, a winning culture, but a family atmosphere where guys want to be, it makes it easier to recruit. It makes it easier for players to buy in the roles. It makes it easier for players to just want to be here and want to win for the organization. And, and I'm proud that we have it here. And Chris was a huge part of making that happen. Chris, you came in, I think, as assistant a year or so later. How have you seen the culture? How 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 has it been different there than maybe some other places you've been to? Yeah, well, it's interesting because my first year here, it was just, I mean, on paper, we had a good team, but our, there was so many things to fix behind the scenes. And Dave always would talk about light at the end of the tunnel in my head. I'm like, what light is this guy talking about? Like, this is, we are a long way away. And to his credit, we made a lot of tough decisions with with moving players out and who we wanted to acquire and revamping the way we evaluated players, not on ice so much, but who we're getting as people. And um, it's been interesting because it's such a different culture, I think, than any other team in the league is. And, and we believe, like, if you can't have fun doing this, why, why would you do it? So why? So I know some teams wound their you know, the guys are wound tight and they're nervous coming into the room and they, you know, nervous talking to the coach where we've kicked down those walls and it's, it's not about that. Like there's mornings where we'll cook them pancakes and we're hanging out with the guys and there's, you know, we'll take our older guys or whoever our college guys to uh, breakfast and, you know, just grabbing guys every day that walk by your office, bring them in, ask them questions. What do you think about this? You know, should we try this? How's the team? What are the boys like in the room? Like really connecting with people. I think that has been our strength and, and uh, again, like Dave's our leader and, you know, I'm the head coach, we have a staff, but if we break down those walls, it's everybody is kind of equal and we don't look at the hierarchy as much as, as everybody trying to do the right thing for the players and the right thing for the organization. And yes, we want to win at the end of the day, but I think player development, building people on and off the ice and all those other things that go into great organizations or what equate to winning. So we don't just focus on trying to win in the moment. We try to make sure it's kind of like a long-term term thing for us where we can do it year after year. And you do that by developing your people. So, and at the end of the day, like I love junior hockey because you get it to make an impact on these kids' lives. And I think the thing I love most about my job is just connecting with them as people. Like I just love talking to our guys and you know, where are they at and what are their goals and just different things in life. And, and, uh, it's amazing when you have these conversations with them, how much better you get as a human as well and what, what they do to trigger some of your thoughts. And and I'm really lucky that way that I'm around great people on, on a staff and, and players. So it's enjoyable. I love going to work. That's probably why it's been the hardest not doing hockey is I just miss the everyday with the guys and being in the grind. 
Dave, you know, I think there's been some criticism rightfully of the overall hockey culture. Maybe it's a little too insular or different things, but it, it does seem like you guys have kind of adopted, if you want to call it a new school or just a different approach where you're still having fun, but you're, you're trying, it's not just like the hard, you know, this is the only way to do it old school kind of mentality. It, it was that something, I mean, you set out to create the family culture, but was that a conscious thing or is that just kind of who you were and what you found fun? I think it's just deep down, it's who I am. It's just how I was raised. I was raised to be a hard worker. Um, just put your head down and do what you have to do to get jobs done and, and be a good person. And I think, like Chris said, we've had to make some trades here that maybe from the outside didn't look so great, but on behind the scenes, you're doing what you have to do to create that culture and get that that right atmosphere in the room. And, um, you know, everybody talks about the change hockey culture and you have to change with the time and and adapt with what's going on because the world's changing every day. Kids are different now. They're going to be different 10 years from now. And if you don't adapt and change and you try to stay old school or this is the way we've always done it, um, you're going to get left behind. You're going to be out of the industry. It, to me, the line, this is the way we've always done it. This is the way we're going to do it. Like that just doesn't fly with me. That's why I love about Chris. He, he watches games. He, how's the new trends going to go? How is, how do you talk to players nowadays? You can't talk to them, you know, how you did five years ago. So it's fun to evolve and I think we as we evolve as humans and kids evolve and you evolve as a person you have to be able to adapt and change like I said or you're going to be out um I don't think it was one conscious thing that we've done that we we've sat down and mapped out how we're going to create this culture I think we just hire good people let them be themselves we do let one thing I do love about our organization we let kids be themselves we don't turn them into robots we don't tell them what they can or can't say obviously um, if you're, you're a goofy kind of fun, loving kid, be a goofy, fun, loving kid. If you're a, a quieter kid that likes to go over your business, that's great. Like just, just be yourself. We're going to love you for who you are. Um, we're going to put all the puzzle pieces together. And I think that really is what makes it work here in Saginaw. And Chris, I think that extends to your play on the ice. I know I saw Cole Perfetti had a quote where he said, you know, we're allowed to be creative and make plays. You know, there's not just, this is the structure we play and you have to pl play within it how much of that is an extension of the off ice facility and how much is that an extension of your, you know, what you think you need to do to win too? Yeah. You get, well, one thing when I took the job, I had a conversation with Sheldon Keefe when he went into the Sioux it was kind of around the same situation that I was coming into in November, same kind of record, same kind of team. And the one last thing he, he told me if, cause we were talking about this style of play and how did he go about it? He said, you got to give your, the last thing you have to do, the most important thing is you have to give your players permission to make mistakes. And that kind of stuck with me. So yeah, we have general structure, general guidelines. We do not waste our time in practice working on, you know, D zone and being very static and here's our neutral zone. Like they felt those things filter into our drills at pace, but it's more about, we want to develop these players organically with their skill we want to build them up and give them a ton of skill so wherever they play whether it's for us or somewhere else in pro they can drop into a system be loaded with skill and be able to execute and I think for us you watch the game some of the best teams in the national league like they're free playing like you can see they have an identity and they they do have a structure but they freely play within that and they make reads and um we're not a shot volume team, stuff like that. We want creativity. I always liken it back to road hockey. Like when you're playing road hockey, how many times in road hockey did you ever just shoot a ball away? 
Like never, you never would just grab a ball and you would protect it. Someone, someone would have to get open for you. Like those concepts we try to bring back into the way we develop players in practice where whether we're breaking out or we're in the offensive zone or we're transitioning, like why shoot pucks away? Make to me, there's always a play to be made. And it's trying to get our guys to think that way and develop the group that way. So then, it, you know, they, again, they start playing. They're just making natural decisions and natural re reads. And, like, you look at our numbers analytically, we're, we're a pretty good team. And I think it's a credit to our guys just, again, feeling safe that if they make a mistake, they're not going to come down and get screamed at. Like, do we get on guys and do we coach guys? Yes. And do we help them? You know, but when we identify an issue, like we tell the player, here's what you did, here's the type of reads, and then we would, tell the team like here he is here's the type of reads but look at our our puck support needs to get better so that kind of stuff like letting guys express themselves on the ice I think if you can get 20 guys that are playing that night to do that your team's going to win more often than not and Dave obviously your on ice success has probably helped this too but in the community of Saginaw the stuff you guys do off the ice you know it seems like th there's been more of a growth there too in, within the community that they're rallying around you guys too and like I said that probably always happens with winning but I have to think it's the style of play and the style of people you have too that so how has the community how have you seen that grow just you know with the fan base yeah our, our, we've always done a lot of work in our community our players have always been very busy away from the rink doing community appearances and, and that's a credit to our business staff and the amount of corporate sales and, and corporate you know, sponsorship they get for organization the community really supports it and we give back to them greatly with our players but in terms of the community embracing and growing with junior hockey, um, we are coming up on 20 years here in Saginaw. So it is fairly new still in junior hockey. They, they Some of the fans are understanding completely and some of them are still learning that players are here for a certain amount of time and then they're gone on to pro. And we're always creating new fans. And I think you said it best, when you start winning, um, you start creating those new fans. The young kids love coming to the game. They love watching the players. Um, and, and the style of play is a huge part of it. Like to win a game 2-1 is great. We won the game, but to win a game 6-3, very it's more exciting for the fans. They want to see goals. They want to see excitement. Um, you know, our business staff and the rink, they do so many different things that a lot of junior hockey rinks don't do. It's a very, very cool thing for the atmosphere, whether it's just thinking outside the box to get fans into the building. And I think we saw it best when we went on our playoff run a few years ago. Um, the place is the loudest I've ever ever seen in junior hockey and I've been to a lot of finals and been in London in the finals and that's a very loud building with 9,000 fans but when we scored in overtime in game two of the conference finals it was I couldn't hear myself think it was unbelievable and you get early for the game and, and people are out you know tailgating before the game and and things like that things you don't see in junior hockey that you're driving to the rink and you're just so excited to get here and I think it's going to continue to grow here I know our fans are itching to get back at it now because they know we have such a good team this year and um, you know, it's, it's very cool to watch your product grow in the community and continue to grow and, and obviously winning, everybody wants to follow a winner. So we're going to make sure we do whatever we can to make that happen. And Dave, you've got, um, Mitchell Smith is on your team from Saginaw. It, I'm sure that's not the reason, but that has to be kind of cool. And for the community too, and inspire, I think the younger kids that, Hey, you know, there's a chance you can come play for the spirit one day. Absolutely. And Mitchell was a, a younger kid back in the day that was a big spirit fan. Is After we signed him, his parents shared a picture with us of him wearing a, a Saginaw spirit jersey around his house. He was just a little, you know, four or five-year-old kid. So um, that wasn't the reason we drafted him. Mitchell was a heck of a hockey player. Um, he was actually committed to the University of Michigan when we drafted him. 
and that was where he was going to go. But, you know, after getting to meet him and, and see our program and understand that he, he decided this was the best spot to go for his development and where he wanted to be and play in front of his family and friends every night. Not that the University of Michigan isn't close to his family. It's an hour and a half away. Um, but to be in his hometown, continue to live at home, um, quote unquote, billet with his own family, um, it's too good of an opportunity for him to pass up. And, he, and he's a heck of a player for us and is going to be a heck of a player for the next few years. Um, but again, it goes back to he was that young kid one day. He was in the high five alley where our players high five the little kids going down onto the ice and a little touch point for them. And that was him at one point. And I always tell guys, you know, when you sign here, you could be the reason that a, a young player, and it's junior hockey in general, that a young player turns into a hockey, a hockey nut because you gave him a high five or you threw him a puck in warm up one time. And how do you know that's not the next Mitchell Smith coming up, for example, or Cole Perfetti or Ryan Suzuki, whatever. Um, so it's very cool. And we try to drill that point into our players' heads. You guys are role models now. Be good people, and um, you're going to get some fans along the way. Chris, um, you know, we've talked about Perfetti. He was your highest draft pick, first top 10 draft pick, arguably could have or should have been higher in the draft. We can talk about him a little too, but just what does that mean for the organization? And that has to make, I mean, you and everyone else, they're proud of what you've been building. Yeah, well, I think proud's the word. Like, you love a kid like Cole Perfetti. You get to know him. We, you know, we've gone through – some pretty important or intense hockey moments like on that run and, and with him in his career. And like, you're just, yeah, it's like, it's a Texas dad the other day. It's emotional when he makes the world junior team, like it is for a family, it is for an organization and, and a coach. Like we live, you know, our experiences through, through what he's going to do with the world junior, same as Zooks. And like, you get emotional about that as a coach, because, you know, you played a small part, but you just, you love those guys and you just, you just want to see him succeed. So I think, um, you know, one thing we do want to change about our organization, we've been around like, I don't know, 20 years or close to it. And, um, you know, our history of maybe that NHL draft picks and players that have come through Saginaw hasn't always been great in the early years. But I think recently since, you know, Dave and I have made a, a real huge focus on developing players and making that a priority of our organization. You look at the last couple of drafts and guys that are signing as free agents and guys that are coming to our program. Now we want to make sure that we're a premier development place before winning. And um, I think uh, we're on a mission here to get guys drafted and get guys developed and give them opportunities to move on in their career. And I think the cool thing about Dave and I, it's not about us. It's not about our staff. Like we're not going to put our own individual career goals ahead of the players. It's about, servicing our players and, and making sure we're doing everything we can so they can have success and hopefully one day that'll lead to our success but and we say this honestly we I would rather see a player develop than go out wins and I, th I just think if you do player development right and you develop your people right you're going to win a ton so we've really cart before the horse mentality with our organization and we're, we're looking forward to adding a lot more draft picks and players signed here in the future. And Dave, I know you spent a lot of time in Barry with the late Dale Howarchuk as the coach there and his wife, Crystal, announcing the Jets draft pick for Perfetti. I mean, that just kind of had to be emotional for you to see two ends of your career kind of coming together in that moment. Yeah, it was it was very, very cool. I was actually with Chris and with Cole um, in the draft room. He rented out the upstairs of a restaurant. We were fortunate enough to be asked to come and honored to come be there for that moment for him and um, seeing Crystal up there and, and spending so much time with Dale in my career at the early going like Dale was the guy that really pushed for me and ownership and Barry to keep moving me up the ladder he believed in me 
Um, and I owe a lot of my career, if not all my career to him to, to get me started and help because, you know, you get into that, you get into the hockey industry, it's tough to get in, but then to get up, the, get up the ladder is even tougher because you need somebody to really believe in you. And he was the guy that kept pushing me forward. And, and he, he told me, I talked to him the night before he passed away. And he just said he always saw something in me and, and he was glad, glad that our paths crossed and I sure as heck am as well. Um, but to come full circle like that with watching Crystal announce Cole, it's, uh, just kind of connected kind of two bookends there. And it was a pretty neat moment. And speaking of Cole, you know, he's in the world junior team. Um, you know, obviously I, I knew who he was or as a player on the ice, but my first introduction with the NHL did this, like, you know, had the top 10 picks before the draft press conference. And I, I was blown away just by how, you know, just mature and intelligent he was just with that. And I hope he keeps that up as a media member, but, so for Chris, his hockey smarts seem off the charts. Are, are they as impressive as he comes across? Oh, yeah. Like uh, some of the best I've ever seen. And it's no surprise, like academically, he's off the charts as well, that he can, you know, think the game. And I think, you know, a lot of people will look at Cole and be like, oh, he's, you know, he's trained. He's trained to talk like that, but he's not. He just, he's such a special, unique human being. And he just comes by it honestly. He's a good person at heart. He cares about people around him and, you know, from his foundation that he started and, and how he's raised money and his efforts that he puts into that. And, and uh, it's special, man. Like we're so, so blessed to have a guy like that in our organization. And um, again, you talk about quality people, like everybody knows he's a great player, but he's just such a better human being. And I've said it before, wherever he went in the draft, went to Winnipeg, like he's going to make that community better, just like he's made the community better here in Saginaw. So we're looking forward to watching his impact on and off the ice because he is a absolute stud of a human being. And Dave, um, he kind of reminded me, and you can tell me if I'm right or wrong here, of his, his, his love of hockey and how much he watches it, um, of Mark Shifley, who you were with and Barry for a little bit too. Is that true? And how much do you think that, you know, just – when they go home, all they're doing is watching film can really help a player develop too. It's 100% true. I, I did an interview with the Winnipeg radio station the night Cole was drafted. And I said, you know, I've been around Mark Shifley from his 17 year old year was when he came into Barry when I worked there and he was a hockey nerd. He, he knew what every stick other players use in their team, different curves. Um, in his spare at school, he would come over and get on the ice for 45 minutes then get showered and go back to high school. Um, he was just a hockey nut. He, he knew everything about it. And I think it's well documented at the NHL level. He calls himself a hockey nerd. And I've seen interviews like that. And it's so true. And Cole's the exact same way. He knows every player in the league. You, you watch, you know, they're doing little trivias right now for TSN with him in the World Junior Bubble. And he's answering questions that I have no idea from old Hockey Canada trivia. And he wasn't even born yet. Um, so he just, he loves the game. He's passionate about it. And I think with anything in life, if you're that passionate about something, nothing's going to hold you back from being great. And um, that's just how Cole is. He, he studies other film, he watches games. And I think that's a big reason why he has a high hockey IQ. And I think Chris will agree with this. A lot of kids nowadays, um, they watch highlights or YouTube clips or look at this unreal shootout goal and they try doing it in practice. Cole watches games. He watches the whole game, where players are on the ice, what works, what doesn't work, where's the quiet areas, how do I get open in this situation? I'm sure you're not studying and thinking that way, but when you watch a game of hockey and you, it, it seeps into your subconscious and I think that really is why he has a high hockey IQ and you can't just do that at 18 and start watching games and get your IQ up there I think you can you can help it but I think when you're a young man and, and a young boy watching hockey all the way up that's really going to help develop your IQ without you even really 
realizing that you're doing it. And Chris, you got one other player at the World Juniors, Ryan Suzuki, who I know you guys just had for a little bit. You traded for him at the deadline, but he's had a great story too, overcoming you know an eye injury and stuff like that. What what has he been like to coach when you've had him? Yeah, like so it's funny because the eye injury happened against us. So, and I I still remember clear as day when he went skating by our bench. He was leaning over, he was holding his face. And all I could hear him saying is, I can't see, I can't see. And the, the high stick, like I've watched it a thousand times, looks really innocent. Like it looks like a normal high stick, doesn't look anything outside the box. And and I had a, a relationship with Ryan before. He's Carnivale Summer League. He's played um, Mason Millman, who's his best friend. And we had Aiden Pruder before. They all played London together. So I've got to know Ryan a little bit over the years. So I know the rest of that game, like it was difficult for me as a head coach to coach the game because I couldn't stop thinking about Ryan and I was I was really worried about his eye and and you know we were texting after the game to try to get answers and I think uh you know we kind of stayed in contact after it happened even though he was still with Barry I would send him a text every one or two weeks just to check in on him because I was really it's just tough to see right he's like a, a guy like him is a good like it's it's real tough to stomach but to his credit like he never once ever played the woes me card and felt bad for himself he just would always stay positive, couldn't wait to get back and start working. And you know what? He, yeah, he's had some challenges through it getting back, but I think he's fully healed now as much as he's going to. And, and like, it's made him a better player. He swears that because he's got a little bit of a blind spot in the center of his eye, he, but he's got his peripheral. He sees the game so different. It's actually made him more aware of everything going around. And um, for him to get this work to make the world junior team, I'm with Dave. I think he's going to play a bigger role than people think, but um, to see a guy go through that in almost a calendar year um, and to respond the way he has and the way he has, like it's humbling. And uh, I know one thing, like you take lessons from how he's handled with it, that when hardships come for me as an individual or other players, you can refer to how Ryan dealt with it and, and uh, look at the success coming out of it. So it just, you're not even his coach, just a human being. I've like been so proud of, of how he handled it. It's, like, it's, it's extremely humbling. All right, I'll get you guys both out of here on this question. What makes you proudest to be a GM, Dave, and what makes you proudest to be a coach? Yeah, it's an easy one for me. I always say the best part of my job is meeting these young men and their families when they're 15 years old before the draft. And heck, some kids you, you create a relationship with their family and, and you have interviews with them and you really want to draft them. You have them down in Saginaw for a visit and they get drafted by another organization and you still stay in touch and follow their career and and are proud of them. But to me, again, the best part of the job is bringing these young men in, getting to know them, um, creating that family atmosphere and having them as one of our own and then watching them go on to achieve their dreams. Um, you know, obviously everyone's dream is to play in the NHL or play pro hockey at some point. And, and that happens for a lot of them. And we want to make it happen for as many as we can, but also running into players, you know, years later and, you know, they're in university or they're done university and they're starting their life or, fatherhood and their real estate age and like to me it's just getting building that relationship and, and gaining more friends and family members along the way it's really a cool moment and then when you're in the draft room and Cole Perfetti gets drafted it's, it's emotional it's you're proud um, and to me that's that's absolutely the best part of the job is just the people you meet along the way and and um, just knowing that you have a small small fact and how they've developed as a person it's it's pretty cool. Chris? Yeah, like I, I'll go to like what when you hear guys like Cole speak about the program or what Ryan said in his press conference at the World Juniors and multiple parents and players, you know, reach out and say how much they enjoy their time. I think the thing that I'm most proud of is guys love 
being in Saginaw and they love coming to the rink and um, you know, they, they speak highly of their experience and that that's important to me. I just think, you know, at some point when you look back on your career as a coach, like you want to know that you did right by the players that you coach and you wanted to know that they had during their junior years and some of their best years of their life, they actually had some of the best times. And we are just so proud of, of our program, the people that work in our program, the players we bring in that they feel that way, because that's always been my objective. Number one is to make sure that when they come to us, we do right. And we look, we can look their family in the eye and promise them that we're going to develop them as a person, as a hockey player, we're going to keep them safe and they're going to enjoy their time and they're going to get their education. And I think uh, you meet a lot of cool people along the way and a lot of unique kids, but for them to consistently talk about our program about that is just the best part of the job. And it's something that we won't stop trying to improve on uh, each and every year. Thanks to Dave and Chris for their time. We talked about Cole Perfetti and how he's a student of the game. Here's what Cole says he pays attention to while watching games. Some guys I look for are guys that I kind of play similar game, such as Braden Point, uh, Mitch Marner, um, Claude Drew, kind of guys like that, you know, where their brain is, is so strong and is what makes them who they are. Um, I try to pick out things that they do in their game and implement, into, implement them into mine. I definitely watch a lot of highlights on those guys on YouTube, but then being able to watch them, um, you know, live in a game, you can see small things that um, not a lot of people recognize, but it's the little things that they do, um, routes they take, footwork, um, how they delay up the wall, stuff like that, um, that I try to um, put into my game. And um, I definitely watch, I, I, I key on certain guys that I feel I play a similar game to, so I can take some of the stuff that makes them so successful and, and put them into my game for sure. You can listen and subscribe to Inside the Barn on Apple, Spotify, and Google. You can follow me on Twitter at Sam Ober. Thanks for listening.